0: Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're gonna be talking UFC Vegas 6, Derek the Blackbeast Lewis versus Alexei the Boa constrictor Olenik. And Shaq, it's going down this Saturday night in Las Vegas, Nevada. Two big heavyweights in the main event, and I have a feeling this one ain't even seeing round five.
1: Yeah, man. I love this main event. alexei Olenik, you know, he's pulled off plenty of upsets in his uh in his UFC career. I know even dating back to I know you remember that Jared Roshaw uh, upset. He just upset Verdum, uh, upset Mark Hunt back in the day. So he's got quite the knack for the upset. And and Black Beast, man, he's one of the most exciting heavyweights that hit the UFC in a long time. You know, I know a lot of people criticize his style, but, man, when it comes to swinging and banging, uh, ain't too many people better than uh, Derek Black Beast Lewis. And, you know, if he wins this fight, man, he, he's right back in the thick of things in the title race. So, i'm excited
0: man and you know i hate to generalize fights and talk in such simple terms but is it really a case where it's either black beast by knockout or alexi Olinik by submission here
1: i mean more than likely man uh alexi Olenek, man he proved a lot of people wrong his last fight he could showed he showed he could strike as well i know verdum looked like uh complete garbage that night but you know uh you know, Black Beast, man, it, yeah, I think it is that simple. I think it is.
0: And it's really interesting to see Alexei Olemek drop 10 pounds because you don't often see heavyweights weigh 227. If a heavyweight weighs 227, we're usually thinking, hey, he might need a drop to light heavyweight. But with Alexei, He literally came in the best shape of his life that last fight against Wardum, and I expect a similar thing here, but Derek Lewis, one thing about him is, you know, he might not get off to the best start in fights, but he sure as hell wins a lot of fights, Shaq.
1: Yeah, he doesn't start the best, but he finishes the best. You know, he he likes to get taken down for, uh, you know, it's funny, actually, uh, uh, Max bet him his last fight against Latifi thinking it was going to be a walk in the park, you know what I'm saying? You know, Latifi's coming up from... 205s, KO losses, this and that. And, you know, uh, Derek uh, has an interesting style, man. He has no problem getting taken down (laughs) and uh, laying on his back for a few minutes. But he closes the round so good because you know what happens when he gets back up.
0: Yeah. That Black Beast Blitz is something else. So I'm very curious to see what happens in the main event. Got a great card overall. Make sure you check us out at bestfypicks.com. Use my promo code Dan25 for 25%. Any of my plays, use Shaq's code Shaq50 for 50% off his or use our combined code 2020 for 20% off the VIPs. Well, Shaq, let's get right down to business because first up in the band and weight division, we got a matchup between Ali Alkasi. He's 8-3 and Erwin and Rivera is 9-5. Currently, they got Erwin Rivera minus 175. The comeback on Ali Casey is plus 155. So, Shaq, my initial thoughts were how can a, a nine and five guy be minus 200 based off the merit that he fought tough in a 30 26 loss? But then I looked up Casey and I was like, oh, so that's why Erwin Rivera is favored because basically, man. Al Casey definitely's got a path to victory here with the wrestling. I mean, he can go out there, get some takedowns, and hopefully hold, you know, top control. And we have seen Erwin Rivera taken down multiple times. But man, on the feet, he is outgunned to a point. I mean, the guy is completely stiff standing. And it's funny, uh, if you start to throw some kicks on a guy like Al Casey, I mean, he'll drop his hands and try to swat those kicks. He'll try to block him with his hands. Like, that's that's a big no-no at the UFC level. So I see Irwin Rivera lighting him up for the duration this fight stays standing. It's just that when it hits the mat what happens after that because we have seen Erwin Rivera held down before. So Casey's got – Al Casey's got a path to victory if he can hold him down, if he can get off on that guillotine, which he likes to go for. But, man, in some of these regional fights, he's going out there with guys that are nowhere near UFC level. He pulls guard on that guillotine, and, you know, the opponent starts passing the side control, and Al Casey doesn't even control the body, and he hasn't let go of the guillotine yet either. So he does some shit that's not going to fly – at the ufc level this is the kind of opponent he might be able to beat but i'm not convinced i'm actually going to go with the favorite here i'll go with erwin rivera to win a decision
1: yeah man you know irwin irwin rivera man i'm actually very impressed with this guy i know he's got a little bit of a shaky record but i feel like he's fought a lot of tough competition in titan fc and you know like you said is he yeah he has been taken down but progressively in his fights man i see him uh getting better in that aspect as well even hitting double legs on some of these guys you know these guys got you know good pro records uh i forget the waggy i think was his last name and uh he fought an undefeated prospect his last fight and he uh and he did his thing there, man, and he, you know, he dealt with the takedowns very well, man. He's got a, a decent scrambling ability, in my opinion. And on the feet, man, this guy's got some spe- some dynamic ability, man. He, he's got that liver kick that I've seen him hurt plenty of people with. He's finished, like, two guys with that. Uh, he's got flying knees. He's got big overhands left. And I see this being a mismatch on the feet, so... Yeah, I think as long as Aaron Rivera gets better, he's training with the Burns brothers down there in Florida. You know, Herbert Burns, Gilbert Burns, both in his corner. So I think he's going to be prepared to come out here and get a win in his second UFC fight. And I'm going to say he actually stops this guy, uh, uh, the Jordanian. So I'm going to go with Aaron Rivera.
0: And, you know, we never like to get political on this show, but just shout out to everyone in Beirut, uh, everyone that's dealing with that. Definitely heart goes out to all y'all. But Shaq, next up in the featherweight division, Yusuf Zalal, he's 9 2, and he's taking on Peter Barrett, who's 11 3. Currently, they got Yusuf Zalal minus 450. The comeback on Peter Barrett is plus 360. So, uh, you know, it's interesting to see this big of a price tag on Yusuf Zalal. I know he's a very hyped prospect right now. You know, his last fight against Jordan uh, Griffin, he definitely edged out the second and third rounds and got it done. And I would personally be, you know, cautious uh, laying minus four fifty juice on a kid like Yusuf who's still developing. But I, I think he's more well-rounded than a guy like Peter Barrett. You know, Barrett, Barrett reminds me of like a Kyle Pachniak. You know, he's he's a tough Boston brawler, and the only reason he got signed on Contender Series, uh, Dana literally said. If I don't sign this guy, people from Boston are going to be coming after me. You know, he kind of made a funny joke. You know, he's got a soft spot for the Boston guys, just like we do for the ATL guys. It is what it is. You know, you show some some uh, home state uh, or home city pride i understand but as far as this matchup is concerned yusuf Zalal has him outgunned anywhere the fight takes place and peter barrett's only chance to win is you know to kind of turn this into a brawl and if yusuf doesn't fight the same you know patient and disciplined fight he normally fights well then that favors a guy like peter barrett but aside from that if yusuf goes out there and mixes all the areas of the game you know when he's thinking when peter's thinking about striking that's when yusuf can you know, going on that level change. And when Peter's thinking about the level change, that's when Yusuf can strike. If Yusuf does, you know, a smart MMA game, I think he's going to come out here and win this fight by decision again.
1: Yeah, man, I really like uh, Yusuf's Zalal. I like all those, all those uh, factory X Ben. My featherweights, man. There uh, got all good footwork, all sharp striking. And I think uh he's no exception, man. I, I really like his fight IQ. Uh, and I think he's gonna come out here and really outclass Peter Barrett. Peter Barrett's a tough guy from Boston, but he takes a lot of damage in his fights. He likes to take one to give one. And I just don't think it with a guy like Yusuf Zalal, who, you know, he's very man, I, I really like this guy. He's really young. I'm not saying he's gonna be top fifteen or any of that. Any of that stuff, but man, I see him having a very good UFC career for only what twenty three, four years old. This guy fights very intelligently, and uh, I see him putting it on this guy. And I think the the price tag is warranted.
0: Now, next up, also in the featherweight division, we got a matchup between Justin, the Guitar Hero James, he's sixteen and four, and Gavin Tucker is eleven and one. Is it Gavin Governor Tucker or Gouverneur? like they like to say over there in uh, French Canadian, He's eleven and one currently. They got Gavin Tucker minus 125. The comeback on Justin James is plus 105. So it almost dropped a full dollar, my man, because uh, Gavin Tucker, he opened minus 215. He's currently minus 125. All the action's been coming in on Justin James. And look, he went out there in his UFC debut on a day short notice and knocked Frank Camacho out. So I understand the hype, but now he's dropping to featherweight. Will that power translate here? And also... Do you think that uh, Justin James can turn this into that ugly fight and kind of make uh, Gavin, Duggar, uh, Gavin Tucker have to dig deep, or is Gavin Tucker going to kind of not get touched and style on him?
1: Man, it's an interesting fight because I'm not really that high on Tucker. Um, I, I think he's a little, I don't want to say small for the weight class, but I think... Uh, a lot of these guys are bigger than him, and Jane is coming down from 50, uh, 55. He's dropping he's dropping down, so I'm interested to see how he, uh, Jane's deals with this weight cut down. Jane seems like more of a, like, you know, like, uh, honestly, like a Camacho type, like, you know, tough brawler that's willing to move forward and throw big bombs, but his overall game is a little sloppy. Uh, you know, the other details in his game we really haven't seen at this level, so, you know, you know, we really uh don't have much to go on. He is tough. I know he uh he actually lost to Jakarta back in uh high school state championship uh wrestling in uh Michigan. So I know he's a tough guy. Uh, Gavin Tucker, he's got some good footwork, can't lie. A black belt on the mat as well. It seems like this is one, it could be one of those potential like trap dogs where everyone and their mom's betting, you know, Jane's. And, you know, because the number was very enticing, you know what I'm saying? Plus 175 against Tucker. So I, I definitely, you know, the people that got it up, you know, north of plus 150, I feel like it's a good bet. But after that, man, I feel like there's no more value on it. Uh, as far as the pick, you know, I'll probably say Gavin edges out a, a tough decision a close decision but man his chin scares me and sometimes man when he gets hit, he has a tendency to like look off in his corner and you know kind of you know pull these little antics off but hey it worked against you know uh Sung Woo Choi Justin Janes I have a feeling that he he might gas out in the late rounds I just have a suspicion that uh if if the fight you know if he can't get a first round knockout that he might slow down in Gavin's footwork and you know then then the antics will, will really start to look good in the second and third. So I'll take him for I'll take him for a a twenty nine, twenty eight type of win. But uh you know from the, from a betting perspective, uh I still even though the line has come down a dollar, I, I still don't like Tucker.
0: Yeah, I mean Shaq, it's a situation where when I saw that plus one seventy on James, I was like, you're telling me I get plus one seventy against Gavin Tucker. So I was really intrigued just with that, but then it comes time to watch the tape on Justin James, and uh, I, I gotta admit, man, I was very underwhelmed with uh, what I saw on tape, you know, because it's like, Yeah, if you just look at the record, he's got a bunch of first-round knockouts. It's great to watch. But if you actually take a look at those first-round knockouts, man, those fights are sketchy until the knockouts. And, like, I saw a 2-0 guy go out there and drop him with an uppercut. I saw a 2-0 guy go out there and take his back. And this is recently, man. And I'm just like, okay, so I see why he wasn't initially signed to the UFC. I see why. Look. They needed, so, they needed a Las Vegas native to take the Camacho fight on 24 hours notice because, you know, uh, Frivola's corner man got COVID. So they literally needed someone down the street who was willing to take it. So that's why they called him. They weren't looking to sign this guy anyways. And with Gavin Tucker, it's like offensively speaking, he's awesome to watch. I like his footwork. I like, you know, um, I like his volume striking style. I like uh, he's added some wrestling into his game. He's got a black belt in jujitsu offensively speaking I love watching him it's just not necessarily defensively speaking it's more so when the going gets tough with a guy like Gavin Tucker um not that I question his heart but I kind of question um you know his ability to push when things get tough you know what I mean because he's not going to just cover up and you know let the ref come in and stop the fight or anything like that but more so he'll stop fighting when adversity presents itself and uh yeah I'm just worried that you know, if he blows his load, that a guy like, you know, Justin James can potentially take over late. But also, you, like, your suspicion is that James might gas out late. So it, it's an interesting fight, but i got to lean with Gavin Tucker here, man. I think he's a cleaner fighter all across the board. And as long as he doesn't get touched with something game-changing, he should win. Uh, but he might get touched with something game-changing. Uh, Gavin Tucker is a very sketchy guy to bet chalk on, in my personal opinion. But I still think he's a better fighter than Justin Jane. so I'll pick him here. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Andrew Sanchez, he's eleven and five, and Wellington Terman is sixteen and three. Currently, they got Wellington Terman minus one fifty-five. The comeback on Andrew Sanchez is plus one thirty-five. Well, Shaq, you got uh, the Jiu-Jitsu black belt versus the taekwondo black belt with the wrestling background. Uh, who you got here?
1: Yeah, man, this is a this is a uh, good fight because Sanchez actually has got some good jujitsu, uh, some good jujitsu uh, credentials as well, man. So. Um, Wellington Thurman, he's young, 22, 23 years old, had two good fights with Roberson and uh, Maluco Perez. And man, you know, I think he's got a a bright future, but I definitely feel like Sanchez is his toughest test. Um, I mean, since Roberson, obviously, uh, you know, I feel like Sanchez, man, I will say like, although he kind of doesn't have a good rep, I don't think he's as bad as uh, he's perceived as, you know, I feel like he, I don't want to say underrated, but I feel like he's a tough guy, man. I feel like, you know, he proved himself against Barriott who, you know, I mean, I know all doesn't have the best record, but he's pretty he's decent, you know, uh, and he bombed off on Sanchez and Sanchez was able to, you know, maintain his composure, which he, that wasn't something he could do in the past. And uh, he was able to, to seal out that win and he did a somewhat similar thing to, to Marcus Perez. Uh, I feel like Wellington Thurman has showed pretty much in these two fights that, you know, when he fought the striker, he tried to take him down. And when he fought uh, another black belt, he was able to just bully him and push him back and and outstrike him. Do I think Wellington Thurman can strike with some other guys? No, I think Wellington Thurman, you know, I think he's good. But I feel like, you know, to call him the next big thing at middleweight is a little bit of a stretch. Um, I think he's going to edge out this fight. I just think he's a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more hungrier, but I don't think he really has like a too big of an advantage in any aspect of the game. I feel like although Sanchez really might not be spectacular, I feel like he's just, you know, good wrestler. Hard to, th- I, I don't see Wellington being able to take his back and and, and do all these things. Uh, I feel like Wellington's gonna have to stand toe to toe with him and see who the better man is. And Sanchez has been hurt in the past, but man, his fight against Vitoria, I feel like Vitoria, honestly, man, is on his way to the top ten, maybe maybe even higher. Um, and I feel like Sanchez. Hung in there and ate his shots. I feel like he's fought a tougher level of competition. So I wouldn't be shocked if this became like a really tough close match where you regret laying that chalk on Wellington. But I just have a feeling that maybe Wellington might slightly be a little tougher, maybe just willing to to go for it a little bit more. So I'll take him for a split decision win. But I feel like, honestly, uh, it, it could possibly go either way.
0: Yeah, it's a interesting fight for sure. I think that Andrew Sanchez, uh, if you're not quite ready for the UFC level, he can definitely go out there and expose you and push that pace on you, mixing the wrestling. He's got those sidekicks too. But I, I still got questions about his chin, about his cardio, uh, about his pacing and things among those lines. And Wellington Terman... Man, he, uh, he's uh, he been pretty impressive. You know, against Carl Roberson, he was a massive underdog. A lot of people think he arguably won that fight. He had a lot of back control there. And then against Maluko, I thought Maluko was going to go out there and teach this kid a lesson. And I thought Maluko was going to dangle off his neck or something. And uh, he, he whooped on Maluko. So that was very impressive. He's only 24 years old. He's getting better every single fight. I think he might be a little bit too young and hungry for a guy like Andrew Sanchez. So... I'm going to pick him here, but as far as picturing how the actual fight will take place, uh, I, you do bring some good points about, you know, it's not every day you're going to go out there and back take a guy like Andrew Sanchez. So how the ac- the actual fight plays out, I'm not quite sure, but I lean with Wellington Terman as well. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Nazrat Hakparas. He's 11-3, and, and Alex Munoz is 6-0. and oh. Currently, they got Nazrat Hakparas minus 235. The comeback on Alex Munoz is plus 195, so... I mean, look—it's bounce-back season for Nazrat Hackbrast. Obviously, he was stopped in his tracks by Drew Dober. In hindsight, it was too much, too soon at the time. Uh, you know, Drew Dober is in the top fifteen now. He's been doing his thing, but man, Nazrat's a dangerous dude. You know that overhand left—I know you know about that overhand left that he's got. Man, it's a—it's a missile. But I guess the weakness in his game uh, is his wrestling defense, and we haven't seen it really tested since the Marcin Held fight, where he was easily taken down in that fight. Uh, so here against Alex Munoz, who's a former, I think, Oklahoma State. Uh, I, I know if it's Oklahoma, someone's going to be pissed at me, but I'm pretty sure it's Oklahoma State. So he's a former D1 wrestler, and I'm curious to see if he comes out here and tests that against a guy like Nazareth because – I would say that's his best path to victory. Uh, In that last fight he had against Troy Lamson, another fellow D1 wrestler, oftentimes when it's D1 versus D1, they stand and trade for all 15 minutes, and that's exactly what happened. And Munoz, he's definitely been developing stand-up, man. He's got a nice volume style. He's a southpaw as well. I like uh, those straights to the body he throws, and... You know, he doesn't really take too many unnecessary risks. Definitely seems like a smart fighter. Definitely seems like someone that's going to have a bright future in the UFC for sure. I definitely think he'll come back and win a lot of fights. But at 6 and no, oh, I think it might be a little bit too much too soon to be in there with a guy like Nasrat. Now, I might be completely wrong if he's able to, you know, use his takedowns and grind this one out. But if that doesn't happen, I think he's a bit outgunned on the feet. So I'm going to go with Nasrat to bounce back in this spot.
1: Yeah, man. And I, uh... I uh, This is an interesting fight because I feel like uh, Munoz, it, like you said, is going to be a good prospect. But, man, Hack Perez, I mean, we're talking about a guy that, you know, broke to Casey, knocked out Neto BJJ. Uh, and his fight with Dober, man, you know, I wouldn't just jump off the train. Yeah, man, Dober's doing his thing. I feel like it was one of those cases where... Dober at some point was, gonna, I even said it prior to that fight, you know, that at some point Dober's going to get rewarded for his hard work, and that's exactly uh, what's been going on. So uh Nastrap, man, I feel like this kid's got a really bright future, and uh yes, his wrestling hasn't been tested, but honestly, I feel like it's a little different style. I feel like Held, although, you know, we like to make fun of him and all, all this shit, I feel like Held is a tough, a tough matchup, man. He's a specialist with the submissions. He, if he gets on top of you, and Nashrat was, it was a short notice fight. Uh, super young, so I, I really don't uh, fault him in that. And I feel like his wrestling has gotten better, because better, when every time uh, Mark DeCasey shot on him, it was stuffed off easily and. And just his rhythm, his flow on that feet, the way it's timing with that overhand left to to be making your debut against that is uh, a little. I feel like the Luis Pena fight, which is what the fight that Alex Munoz had initially was a lot better of a, of a, of a debut fight. You know, uh, I feel like this was honestly kind of, you know, that fight fell through. He pulled out of that one. Nastrat was available. And now he I honestly feel like he's swimming in with some big sharks that he's not ready for. And Alex Munoz, like you said, he's a big time college wrestler. He's actually the wrestling coach at uh team alpha male. It's just that in his fights, from what I've seen, you know, he's kind of, he's really only got two real fights, Nick Newell and Troy Lamson, uh And, you know, he kind of hasn't really been the most active. He's been pro for a decent while, and he's only got six fights. Um, I know he's probably had a tough time finding fights because he's a wrestler, but in a lot of his fights, man, I seems like he's a guy that likes to slug, man. He seems like he's one of those wrestlers that, yeah, you know, he'll wrestle, but he really, I don't think he has the jujitsu to uh, hold down somebody. I feel like, yeah, you know, he might get a big slam or, you know, a takedown, but I, and he couldn't hold down Nick Newell, you know, he uh, the Troy Lamson fight, you know, Troy Lampson, I, I think he's a, a good fighter, but he seems a little bit like, I don't know, the two fights I've seen Troy Troy Lambson and every time he got hit, he like just completely, uh, you saw what Jesse Ronson did to him, you know what I'm saying? Um, But I just feel like uh, Nasrat is just much much more experienced Uh, hungry as hell coming off this loss to Dober. And I feel like this is honestly like a perfect, I don't want to say tune-up fight, but like, you know, it would be, you know, if he was going up against their, uh, you know, for his comeback fight with another fellow top 30, 35 lightweight, then it'd be a little sketchy. But, you know, make a tune-up fight against a guy who's never been in the UFC before, who... His best win is Troy Lampson you know what i'm saying uh, i feel like this is a good fight for Nashad to come out here and get a vicious knockout and i think that's exactly what he's going to do i feel like uh Troy uh Alex Munoz hasn't fought you know when he when he gets in there and the takedowns aren't coming as easy i feel like he's going to slowly start to deter and then i feel like he's going to make a mistake out there in space and and get knocked out so i'm going to go with Nashrad-Hack Perez.
0: now next up in the middleweight division we got a matchup between Kevin Big Mouth Holland, he's 17-5, and five, and Joaquin Buckley is 10-2. and two. Currently, they got Kevin Holland minus 440. The comeback on Joaquin Buckley is plus 350. I'm going to keep it short and sweet. I mean, look, when you, when you look at Joaquin Buckley, you're like, man, who's this specimen? I mean, he looks like one of the scariest dudes uh, on the UFC roster. But you watch him fight, and he's one of these guys that's not as scary as he looks you know what i mean Uh, is a little bit on the slower side and look if you're not quite ready for the ufc level he can definitely go out there and overwhelm you knock guys out but here at the ufc level i mean they needed someone to step up on short notice and look upsets happen all the time so and and this guy he's a big dude and he hits hard so i'm not going to count him out but like kevin holland is more skilled across the board kevin holland's the more physical guy, Kevin Holland's got better jujitsu. Kevin Holland is longer; like all everything is going in Kevin Holland's favor. Now it's just about Kevin Holland going out there and actually performing like a minus four forty favorite. You know, let's see if he goes out there and does what he's supposed to do. But I think that he's just too experienced for a guy like Buckley. So as long as he doesn't get knocked out by something, I think he comes out here and wins this fight, where, however he wants.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, you know, due to Trevin. Trevin uh Fanning Man, unfortunately Will Queen's Joaquin, gonna have to take the ass whooping for it. Uh you know, uh, I'm gonna keep it short and sweet. Kevin, like you said, he's better all across the board. Guys beating GM3, DC Rico, uh, you know, Jeff Neal. I mean, come on. This is a unfortunately Will uh has to get welcomed to the UFC um, you know in a very probably you know embarrassing humiliating way but i'm sure he'll be back i remember when he fought logan storley he hung in there for all three rounds so i know he's a tough guy
0: he'll be back now next up in the welterweight division we got a matchup between tim the dirty bird means he's 29 and 12 and loriano Storopoli is nine and two currently they got Loreano Steropoli minus 140. The comeback on Tim Means is plus 120. Shaq, if I would have told you that uh, Loriano Steropoli was going to be a favorite to Tim Means two years ago, I know for a fact you would have laughed in my face. But in 2020, do you think the price tag's warranted?
1: Man, I would have laughed in your face. (laughs) uh, Man, this is one of the most intriguing fights on the card to me because Tim is like, man. Tim's chin might be completely zapped. But then at the same time, I do think Rodriguez is a big boy. I think Rodriguez is as big as it gets for 170. And uh, he was able to, and he's got some underrated boxing. He was able to clip Tim. But Tim just in general, like lately, man, since he's come back from the USADA thing, his record's just been spotty, man. Uh, I know he's lost to some good guys along the way. Bilal, Nico Price, uh you know, got real good guys, but, you know, uh, his last fight, and even even in the Alves fight, you know, like, prior to him getting the knockout, man, he was getting in touch with jabs, and, like, he just seems like he doesn't respect his opponent's striking. He just comes out there, and he's looking for the first-round knockout. He's trying to get the big slams with the takedown, and I'm interested to see if is ready for that, because Loriano, to be honest, you know, I think that uh, this guy was a little overhyped. You know, he beat uh, Hector Aldano, who, you know, doesn't belong in the UFC. Uh, then he fought Tiago Alves. And I mean, at moments, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to be honest here. Loriano won that fight on activity alone. And because, I mean, look, Tiago Alves, you know, he's he's uh, a Brazilian on the tail end of his career. You know what happens with Brazilians on the tail end of their careers, they. They uh, stopped throwing, and you know he's just not the same anymore. And then, and that fight—I mean, he won. I definitely think Loriano won that fight, but I mean, the rounds were you know very competitive. Uh, I mean, there was 50-50 exchanges all throughout that fight. And then, uh, and then his fight with Salikov—he lost every round, and you know he got, you know, he counterstruck. Muslim Salikov is a, a very good counterstriker. So, uh, man, I feel like Staropoli—it could be a trap a trap just because Tim, you know, he's not looking good, but, you know, Loreano Steropoli on the other hand, uh, you know, he's, he, but I do think he has the power to knock Tim out. It's just, does he have the, does he have the chin to to withstand a Tim Means uh, first round storm? You know, Tim Means is going to come out here right off the bat and start looking to, uh, you know, land smacks, the one, two, the elbows, the, the whole bit. It's just Tim defensively, man, is like he just doesn't respect his opponent's striking. So, uh, man, I feel like it's honestly a 50-50 fight. Man, I'll actually take Tim Means, man. Uh, you know, uh, something tells me that Sarah ain't going to be ready for the first round storm, but it wouldn't shock me if Tim got knocked out in the process. Tim Means has not been looking good. I truly think that he might have been a USADA victim, uh, but we'll see, man. We'll see.
0: Yeah, this is uh, one hell of a fight for sure. Tim Means, man, offensively speaking, he he's dirty out there. The Dirty Bird is a lot of fun to watch. And, I mean, defensively speaking, too, just in terms of the parrying and the hand fighting, which I really, really like from him, it's just that he can't take a punch like he once used to. And that's just facts, man. I Like, he was out there styling on Nico Price. And I know Nico Price is one of the hardest hitters in the entire division, so there's no shame, but it's like – I feel like that job would have been done a couple of years prior. Same thing with the Daniel Rodriguez fight. I feel like Daniel Rodriguez can't even breathe his air a couple of years ago. And, you know, he was doing – Tim Means was doing his thing, but he gets clipped on the temple, just goes down and gets shut off type thing. So – you know, here against Steropoli, I kind of see it being a similar thing. I think Tim Means is going to do his thing early, but once it's time for uh, Storoply to answer, if Steropoli is still standing, that is, but it seems to me he's pretty damn durable based off that Muslim Salikov fight because Salikov was fucking throwing some nukes at him. It was like, God damn, like Salikov cracks so hard, and he's so fast, so accurate. With Tim Means, he's fast and accurate as well. It's just I don't know if he can take it like he wants uh, used to be able to. So I'm a slightly lean with the favorite here. It's just a situation where uh, Loriano might be losing the entire fight until he wins. So do you really want to lay chalk on a situation like that? I personally don't, but I'm, I'm a lean with the Argentine here to kind of just get it done based on the fact that he's slightly more durable at this point in his career. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got a matchup between Benil Benny Daru. She's 18 and four and Scott Scotty Holtzman is 14 and three. Currently, they got Benny minus one eighty five and Scotty plus one sixty. Uh, two of my favorite lightweights uh, going to war. This should be a hell of a fight. I understand why Benil is favored, but the thing is, can you count out a guy like Scotty, especially in his current form? I feel like he's been looking better than ever, Shaq.
1: Yeah, man. This is a. I feel like this is a typical Darius fight, man. I feel like uh, he's usually lined somewhere in this range, and his opponents uh, usually lined in this range and. He's been on the street doing his thing. But, man, to be honest with you, I wouldn't so buy the whole Benil Dariush's back thing personally. Um, I, I He gets rocked every single fight for the most part. Um, I mean, this is just facts. Uh, but, yeah, man, his black belt is top notch, and he's got that advantage going for him once again in this fight, man. There's no guarantee that if he gets on top of Scott Holtzman, that Scott Holtzman is going to be able to uh, – to get out of it. I know Jakar Close was able to get out of it, but we've seen Scott Holtzman in the past struggle with the wrestlers. But then at the same time, one thing I've noticed is Scott Holtzman does very fucking good against lefty strikers, man. (laughs) Like he, uh, he usually comes out against the lefties and he, and he throws the inside low kicks and he usually gets them to overextend on that left. And then he uh, starts, uh, starts uh, landing those big uh, hot sauce bombs, man. So, Man, I feel like this is a good fight. I feel like Darius is is, is the better fighter, and he definitely has the big edge with the grappling. And he comes out here and looks to execute in that realm once again, but the Darius, man, I feel like he's one of these fighters that have these similar scenarios. As in, what if he takes Holtzman's back the whole first round and okay, he doesn't get the sub and they come out the second? I know that was a scenario in his last fight with Close. But, man, it keeps, like, it happens a lot. It happened against Dober. It happened against, uh. and I'm wondering, can he pull, can he keep his uh, calm calm again and pull out another submission win, man? So I'm interested. From a betting perspective, I still think it's Dogger pass, but I'll take Darius for the win. I think, I'm just, Holtzman, you know, the Nick Lentz fight, there were so many positions where, you know, you, you, you could see someone like Darius taking his back, um, even in the uh Jim Miller fight, you know there was plenty of times where he put himself in spots where you already know Darius would get those hooks in, so you know uh I'm sure Darius is looking to get that sub, but man, from a betting perspective, Darius gets rocked in pretty much almost every fight, so i'd be I'd be careful,
0: yeah, this is an interesting fight for sure, especially when Benny is almost two to one in this spot, so I, I feel like it's a situation where. You know, Benny's the better fighter across the board, skills wise. It's just that there's a lot of intangibles that Scotty brings to the table for sure. Uh, for example, the cardio, uh, the durability. I would say that those actually favor Scotty in this spot. So it's a situation where, you know, and real quick before I break down the matchup. You know, Scotty actually made his debut in Nashville against uh, Chris the same night that Benil was the co-main event against Michael Johnson, and that's when Michael Johnson was ranked number five in the world. So Benny beat him. In my opinion, he was number five in the world that night. That being said, a lot a lot of shit's changed since then, but when you look at Benil's uh, resume, one of the best resumes in the lightweight division, I mean, wins over Dober, Carlos Diego Ferreira, Tony Martin, Jim Miller, Michael Johnson, we can go on forever, so... Benil's been there, done that. Scotty's on the come up now. Scotty is definitely live in this spot, especially if he can overcome this first round storm by Benil. Like like you said, if he gets his back taken, then comes out in the second, and Benil's kind of gassed, or even if Scotty lands one of those big bombs on Benil's chin, Scotty definitely has a path and. If that Nick Lentz fight never happened, I might even come out here and take Scotty. It's just that that Nick Lentz fight was such a red flag for me, knowing that, hey, even if Benny gets rocked, if Benny's still conscious, he could always revert back to, you know, going for those takedowns, try to take his back and try to use that serious black belt in jujitsu that he's got. I also really like from the southpaw stance, that body kick that Benny brings to the table. He's got good hands, too. It's just that, you know, he, he's a little bit chinny. You know, he's been knocked out a couple times, gets rocked a lot, uh, but he's a very tough guy, too. So it, it's an interesting fight. I think at the betting window, at this current line, it's a dog or pass situation. I mean, Vegas even thought it should be a closer fight than where it's currently lined. The public kind of went in on Benny. And I understand. We all love Benny. It's Benil Dariush. But Scotty needs some respect, too, because he's actually been doing his thing. And compared to. The recent guys that Benil's fight, uh, uh, the, compared to the recent guys that Benil's fight, I'm not talking about like Dober or anything, but like you know, like Frank Camacho and, and shit like that, I've, and Thiago Moises. I feel like Scotty's way better than those guys, so Scotty might actually come out here and put up a serious fight. And if Benny doesn't get an early finish, I see this being a sweat for sure. But I still lean with Benil because I think overall he's the more skilled guy. But I'm not sleeping on Scotty either, so I'm gonna go with Benil. Let's see what happens. Now, next up in the band division, we got a matchup between Yana Kunitskaya. She's 12 and 5, and Julia Stoliarenko is 9 and 3. Currently, they got Yana Kunitskaya minus 230. The comeback on Julia Stoliarenko is plus 190. Uh, Shaq, are you trying to lay uh, some serious shock on Yana Kunitskaya versus uh, Armbar Specialist?
1: Uh, I mean, mean, she's definitely my pick to win this fight. I mean, Julia, Julia, man, I think. She needs a lot of work, uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, on a uh, t- tough the uh, man where she was pulling guard and, like, getting her head completely smashed on, and uh, she was able to still pull out the armbar win, uh, it's just, this guy is a different level, man, I, I, maybe that happened to somebody else, but, man, um, Kuniskaya I'm not high on either, I think Kuniskaya is scared to get hit, I think she's actually really chinny, um, she just got knocked out. She got dropped from a punch, but then grounded, pounded. But she got dropped from punches from Aspen Ladd, you know. <laughs> and then, uh, but yeah, man, Julija, man, uh, you know, she had that fight, I forget, uh, for, against Marcia Allen. Then she fought Leah Letson. It was a, a a good fight, but I definitely thought Leah won. And it was just due to the fact that, you know, Julija's uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, standup is just... You know, not very good, it's not there yet. And then, uh, she likes to pull guard a lot when they when you get tied up, uh, looking for the arm bars. And then, you know, she got you know, released and you know, she beat three cans and you know, all arm bars in like less than 30 seconds. And then, uh, she won an Invicta. You know, I definitely see some improvement in that fight. You know, uh, her stand up looked a little better, just I don't think she's good enough to beat Kunitskaya. So, I gotta go with Kunitskaya just by you know, being the vet here, clinching her up is a decent point fighter, um, but she's scared to get hit. But I, I think she'll be fine in this matchup, so I'll go with Yana by uh, decision.
0: Yeah, look, uh, Yana is an interesting fighter. She's definitely come a long way compared to her Invicta days, that's for sure. And, you know, she's really big for the weight class. She's fun to watch. Uh, with Julia Stoliarenko, I kind of feel like Julia is a bit outgunned here, except in one spot, which is obviously that that arm bar which you know this girl is known for going out there and getting a bunch of first round arm bars and i could totally see something like that happening to yana kunitskaya i mean i've seen yana kunitskaya get submitted in the first round before you know she even went out there yana kunitskaya beat tanya evinger and then they rematch and she gets subbed in the first round and i've seen her subbed a couple other times too Uh, man, I feel like Yana's probably going to beat her up a little bit, but might get carried away, and uh, I'm actually going to go with the upset. I think that Julia Stoliarenko gets a fluke armbar. It's not really a fluke because she's got a million of them on her record, but somewhere along the way she's going to get this armbar. She's going to pull guard and get it. So, yeah, um, I think Yana's the better fighter, but I think she's getting submitted here, so I'm going to go with Julia Stolyarenko for the upset. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got a matchup between Darren the Dentist Stewart. He's 11-5, and five, and Mackie Coconut Bombs Pitolo is 13-5. and five. Currently, they got Darren Stewart, minus 155. The comeback on Mackie Pitolo is plus 135. Uh, Shaq, this is interesting because I feel like Mackie Pitolo is a completely different uh, human being and fighter at 185 pounds than he is at 170. I feel like it's a night and day difference, and with some of these fighters— They're so stubborn. They're too tough for their own good. Sometimes they don't have the right people around them. So, you know, when this guy's, you know, walking around at 215 pounds, he's trying to cut to 170. That's a 45-pound weight cut, Shaq. And, I mean, you see that fight against Callum Potter. The guy can barely move. The guy can barely think. He can barely fight. And then you hear the story about how, he was supposed to fight Takashi Sato at 170 pounds too. And, you know, UFC staff intervened. They saw him dying in the sauna. They're like, Hey, Mackie, let's get you to the hospital. Let's put some fluids in you, buddy. And uh, Mackie, he's so tough. He's such a Hawaiian warrior. He gets to the hospital. He's like, no, 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 I don't want the IVs. I still want to weigh in. And they're like, "Nah, nah, Mackie, uh, come back to fight another time, kid. So I think after that, he realized, hey, I need to go up to 85s. And He's undefeated at 85s. He won a contender series at 85s, and I feel like Mackie Patola is a skilled guy. It's just that these weight cuts have been really, you know, damaging him, man. Like a lot of times at 70, you know, he'd be winning these fights, and then he'd just go out there and get knocked out viciously. Like he's got some brutal knockout losses, but again, they're all at 170 pounds. I feel like he performs a lot better at 85s. And here with Dentist uh, Stewart, with Darren Stewart. He's an interesting cat because he kind of is one of these guys that will kind of be losing a fight and then will just touch you with something violent and get you out of there. I feel like he's got some serious knockout power. That's one thing I've said about Darren Stewart his entire career is that uh, you have to be careful the entire time you're fighting him because he can just crack you with one elbow to the temple, with one straight right, and he can end a fight. The thing here is that... I feel like Mackie Patola's durability is way better at 85 than it is at 70s. I mean, look, watch that Callan Potter fight and then immediately watch that Charles Bird fight. Look at the difference in how he moves. And before someone says, oh, it's just Charles Bird, yeah, it's the same Charles Bird that won eight minutes against Darren Stewart before he got caught. Whereas Mackie Patola, I feel like he won the majority of that fight. So... I like what I'm seeing from Mackie Patolo. It's a situation here where I think Mackie Patolo is the better fighter across the board. I mean, I've seen Mackie Patolo even wrestle in fights on the regional scene before. And the coconut bombs, which, you know, also known as uh, multi-strike combinations, I I really like how they look at 85s. At 70 against against Potter, it kind of looked like, oh, my God, this is not going to. This is not going to pan out well, but on Contender Series and in that 85 fight against Bird, I like what he does, man. He kind of goes off-speed, off-speed, and then fastball, fastball. You know, like he'll go off-speed up top to get you blocking, and then he'll go fastball to the body, you know, like a 20% shot up top, then a 90% shot to the body. I like that off-speed. I like how he mixes it up a lot. I think he's got what it takes to come out here and beat Darren Stewart. I think he is better than Darren Stewart. It's just that you got to understand here, that there's a chance Mackie Patola can get knocked out because Darren Stewart can knock out any man that he fights with. It's just that Darren Stewart doesn't have much urgency. Darren Stewart can't wrestle to save his life. Uh, so there's a lot going against Darren Stewart. Look, if Mackie was the favorite here, then you know, then it's a different story. But a- as an underdog, when I think he's the better fighter across the board, it's just a matter of do not get knocked out and you win this fight. So I'm going with Mackie Coconut Bombs Patola to extend his win streak to two here in the
1: 85 division yeah man i feel like stewart's one of these guys that uh you know he kind of doesn't take things seriously you know uh i you know i follow the guy on ig and, and you know he, he likes to you know post memes and, <laughs> and he likes to to play around and but yeah man he's uh he's a he's a good athlete strong powerful agile uh, I, I i think that he's you know more of a fast twitch athlete than Mackie Patolo. It's Mackie Patolo, man. He's got a secret weapon in his back pocket in this fight, and that's the wrestling. When we know that Darren Stewart has struggled with the wrestling, he struggled his last fight. Now I'm not going to knock him because we know that Bartos, you know, he's, uh, that's what he does. You know, he he comes out there and he likes to (laughs) to lay on guys. And uh, that's exactly what happened with Stewart. And, you know, Stewart, uh, he got taken down by a win. It was just that win, you know, after win wrestles, man, he's got no cardio to strike, <laughs> and then he becomes a punching bag, man. He's, five, he's body, His body's, body's too tiny. And, uh, I mean, Stewart did his thing, but, you know, I can only put so much stock into that win. And Maki cleaned up on Charles Bird, and Charles Bird retired after that fight. So, you know, uh, props to uh, Maki for retiring him. But, you know, I definitely think that at 185s, like you said, he's a, he's a different fighter, obviously undefeated at 185s. And, man, like, I like... I, I just think Maki's rough, man, like, Maki, Maki's, like, a, like I really don't have many bad things to say about him besides his chin, <laughs> like, that's pretty much it, like, and I feel like that's honestly a, a good thing, man, like, in terms of, like, a, you know, I feel like he throws more volume than Stewart, I know he can wrestle better than Stewart, I feel like he's a little rougher than Stewart, I feel like he's willing to, you know, get down in there dirty and, and really, uh, you know, do what it takes to win this fight more than Stewart it's just that there is a good chance that Stewart cracks him at some point and we're gonna see what happens uh but man I've seen Maki Maki take some good shots he took some shots in the Charles Bird fight you know and he and he seemed no problem it just seems like his spirits is a lot better and 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 it just I mean like you said the Callum Potter fight like that's kind of, like, he, he was trying to throw punches, but, like, his his, sho- his shoulders just weren't, you know, like, they weren't flowing. Like, I just feel like, man, he, he probably was cutting too much weight uh, to go down to 170s. Uh, so, man, yeah, I'm going to take him for the win as well. I think he's just a little rougher. I think uh, he throws more, better wrestling, just uh, more more ways to win this fight, just better Uh, in more aspects but Stewart does have the power thing going for him but at the same time I think Stewart's like overall technical boxing and technical striking is a little bit overrated I feel like uh he's a guy that like when we really look at it like he beat he knocked out Eric Spicely like oh my god (laughs) you know he uh and he uh beat uh and he was able to capitalize on Charles Birdman uh and he beat Bavon Lewis who we know as well in a in a very lackluster fight so and uh, Deron win And a 5-6 guy so um you know so uh, he's, his his resume is a little bit inflated he's he's very lucky that he didn't fight my boy Marvin cuz I think we 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 uh we know we we know what would have happened there
0: oh man looking back on that uh we were getting a steal on Marvin in that fight but yeah Co-main event of the evening in the middleweight division, we got the return of the former champion Chris Weidman. He's fourteen and five, and Omari Akhmedov is twenty and four. Currently, they got Chris Weidman minus one forty. The comeback on Omari Akhmedov is plus one twenty. Well, Shaq is interesting because why? Uh, Omari opened minus one fifty. Now you're seeing a minus one forty on Weidman. So all the public action is coming in on Weidman, and uh, there's a lot to say about this fight. Firstly, let's just state the facts. Uh, This is the first non-top-10 fighter that Weidman's fought in a very long time. So uh, let's state another fact. Weidman's been knocked out in five of his last six. Another fact, Omari Ahmedov is known for gassing later in rounds. And then also, I want to say this. One thing about Weidman is that with these long reigning champions, there's such a level of delusion with them, and uh, unlike a guy like Shogun, who I have so much respect for Shogun, because you know after that John Jones fight, Shogun's not talking about a rematch with John Jones. Shogun's not talking about he's going to be the guy to dethrone John Jones. Shogun's out here fighting John Volante, fighting Tyson Pedro, you know, fighting. Lil Nog fighting Paul Craig like Shogun, you're, you're the man. You humbled yourself. You know exactly where you are in your career, and you're fighting the right guys. You're not seeing Shogun asking for Yuri Prohaska and all these fucking guys in the top five, whereas Wideman gets knocked out in five of his last six, and he's talking about how I'm the guy to dethrone Israel Adesanya. I'm the guy to beat the great John Jones. Like, hey, Chris. No, you're not, buddy. So, oh, you mean, you're like,
1: ta- you're talking about when he said uh, when he said that uh, stylistically, I'm a nightmare for Adesanya.
0: <laughs> like, I haven't heard a good joke that good in a while. But uh, listen, man, it's his first non non-top, non top ten opponent in a while. You think he finally gets it done?
1: Man, look, I, I think, look, I agree. It is somewhat of a step down for him. Omari is not on that level 100%. But if you think that Omari is just some, you know, like, you know, no name, just getting a like a tune-up fight for Chris Weidman, man, I, I think people are deeply, deeply, deeply mistaken, man. I know Omari had a shaky history at 170s, but look what happened ever since he moved up to 185s. He went in there with a young, hungry specimen, like Marvin Vittori, and went toe to toe with him. He won the first two rounds, but we do know that Omari, he slow he gasses out in the third round. He slows down a little bit, but then in pretty much most of his fights, he likes to get off to that two nothing lead. And then I feel like it really came to the test against a, another young, hungry guy like Ian Heinisch, who really pushes a pace. And I feel like, yeah, you know, guys, guys like. You know, Omari was the underdog against Hinesh is why I'm saying that, you know, people were saying Hinesh was going to was going to make him gas out. But, you know, I, I feel like like Omari's game is so like defensive in a way where like you can't just get off. Uh, to, to make someone gas out, it means you have to throw volume. That means you have to to really get in there and make him work. And when Omari clubs these guys behind the ear, <laughs> man, they uh, they back up and they're like, oh, wait, maybe I can't get off on that type of volume. And then it becomes one of those Russian coast type of fights where Omari, you just already fallen into his rhythm and now you're going to uh, lose a decision. And I feel like Omari is super underrated. And let me just get back to Chris for a second. Look, Chris had a great run. You beat Anderson Silva twice. You beat Leota Machida. You beat Vitor Belfort. And, you know, some of the things we mentioned prior, you know, about the Adesanya comments, that's not the only one where – there's another one where he said, you know, I really haven't been beaten by anyone besides, you know, like, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> shit like that. But, like – um, Look, I just think that he, his father time has caught up to him. Injuries have caught up to him. Uh, that dude, Luke Rockhold beatdown caught up to him. You said what? That Luke Rockhold beatdown caught beat up to him. him. What about the, like, vicious things have happened to you, Chris? Did you not see the Ray fight? You got hit on the forehead and you went out limp. Like, like it's time to hang him up, bro. And, you know... uh and I just think that he's uh, he's a little bit, I don't want to say in over his head because I see this probably going three rounds. It's just, uh, you know, it could have went a lot better. So as far as I see the matchup, like Chris, I feel like Chris's gas tank is a little sketch. I feel like Chris, Chris like y'all talking about Omari's gas tank. I feel like Chris, look, did you see the gegard Musashi fight, which was years ago? Like I saw a guy that was out there huffing and puffing, gasping for air. Uh, then we tune into the, uh, we go into the, Jacare fight, you know, it's one-to-one going into the third round. Seems like Wyman might be able to, you know, pick up momentum. But what happened the second Jacare really wanted to put that pressure on him, man? He was able to bully him. And then he was able to get a knockout. I don't wanna hear, but oh Chris looked so good in that fight. No, Chris got knocked the fuck out. That's what happened. <laughs> like, you know, uh and then we go to the Reyes fight, which was a complete delusional move. He's moving up to two oh five because he's cloudy in his head, he doesn't know where I, I understand it's hard for some of these guys, man. When you go on winning streaks like that and you beat Anderson Silva, you, you think, you know, you're gonna be the man forever. But man, I feel like it's honestly been going south for him since like Bro, the Vitor Belfort fight—he didn't really look that good. I, I, I was saying, I was telling you that back, like, way back then. Uh, the Machida fight, only won, but it was like, eh, you know, a good fight. But it wasn't like, oh, Chris Wyman's like a dominant champ or anything, like, you know. Uh, and then he fought Luke Rockhold and the rest was history, man. Uh, I feel like Omari Akhmedov—you know—he might not have the the most entertaining game, but I feel like he's gonna come out here do enough to to. I don't want to say ragdoll Chris, but just push him around. Like, like if Chris gets close to him, I feel like when Omari clubs him, uh, you know, around them ears, that Chris is really going to feel it, not necessarily get knocked out, but it will slow his, uh, his movement forward. And I feel like Omari can uh, move forward, make Chris fall into that Russian coast, that Russian coast pace and just outstrike Chris and, uh, and, you know, And I'm not even gonna. I know Chris is a D1 wrestler, but don't sleep on Omari's wrestling either, man. Omari's got good double legs. I don't see Chris getting any takedowns in this fight. Um, it's gonna come down to Omari winning them first two rounds, and even in the third round, man. Like, I know Omari usually loses, but those are the young, hungry guys, man. I don't think Chris is that guy. I feel like Chris is more of a you know, tail end of the career, washed up guy that kind of slows down himself, man. So I'm gonna go with Omari Akhmedov. I think he's gonna land the harder shots throughout the the three rounds, stuff his takedowns, take the better shots throughout the fight as well, and get his hand raised and, and get the biggest win of his career.
0: Yeah, look, man, there's a lot of things to talk about, and I'm not going to throw out any accusations. I only want to speak factually because these are facts. What I'm about to say: pre-Usada, Chris Weidman was 13 and 0. Since Usada, Chris Weidman is one and five. With five knockout losses, he's been dropped in six consecutive fights. So take that for what you will. Now, this whole thing, because I've been hearing Omari doesn't really have the knockout power to put him out. Let's examine if that's really true. Tell me what Marvin Vittori's known for. He's known for being able to take the hardest shot that anyone brings to the table and keep going forward. You remember Izzy Adesanya calling this guy a blockhead because you hit Marvin Vittori with the hardest shot and it hurts you more than it hurts him. Tell me what Zach Cummings has been known for his entire career. Has Zach Cummings ever been known for his speed or athleticism or any shit like that? No, Zach Cummings has always been known for being that tough dude that can eat anyone's shots and keep going forward. Do you remember that Santiago Ponzanibio fight where Santiago Ponzanibio knocks every single person out with these shots? But Zach Cummings... Eats them no problem. Well, that's probably why Zach didn't get knocked out against Omari. Tell me what Ian Heinish is known for. Ian Heinish is known for being a durable, exciting guy that's gonna go forward the entire time. A cardio machine. So yeah, no shit he didn't knock those guys out. Like like duh but here he's not fighting a durable guy here. He's fighting a chinny guy. And I'll tell you this, cause this whole Omari gasses out in round three thing. Yeah. It used to really be the case at seventies and maybe slightly the case at 85, but not as much. I remember in the third round against Heinrich, some of those left hooks, he wobbled Heinrich. Some of those left hooks made a uh, be like, Oh shit, this guy can crack. And I'll tell you right now, he hits Chris Weidman with one of those. And, uh, the fight might be over shortly after. And I want to tell you this too, this whole thing. Cause I'm glad you brought it up. Cause I almost forgot Chris, uh, uh, <laughs> It's not just delusional in saying he's going to beat John Jones and Izzy Adesana. It's also delusional in saying, I was winning those fights, and then I, I just got caught. You remember when Chuck Liddell used to get knocked out every single fight towards the end of his career, and it was never any kind of accountability, never accepted any kind of responsibility. It was always, oh, I, I just got caught. You know what I mean? It's like, so he's, telling, he's trying to tell me with a straight face he just got caught in the Jacare fight when the reality is you won the first round, you started to break in the second round, and you got knocked out in the third. And what happened against Joel Romero? You won the first round. Yoel is a guy that takes off rounds historically in many fights. You won the first round, you lost the second, and you got viciously knocked out in the third. How is that? I was winning and then I just got caught. Don't even try me on that bullshit. So, yeah, this is a step down, but it's like Chris is damaged goods at this point. And it could be a close fight, but uh, I'm going to leave with the underdog here. I think he's got the upside. And People are trying to say this is the, the UFC, uh, you know, giving Chris a tune-up fight. I view it as this is the UFC rewarding Omari for all his years of hard work. You know, Omari's he's had a, he's been in the company since what 2012 2013. He's only pulled
1: out a one fight ever, and it was against uh, CB they they, they they called they called Omari up and they were like, Omari, pick one from the top ten. Which which one? And he picked the easiest one. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like. Omari's pulled
0: out of one fight in like seven years, you know, and it was the CB Dalloway fight. So, Omari must have been really injured oh. if he pulled out of a fight like that. The reason I'm bringing that shit up is because is a guy that you
1: give him the call. He's showing up. He's making weight. He's Omari's going to Omari's a warrior, man. You remember that fight with elizu back in the day? I know he lost, but like he's been a he'll bang, man.
0: He's a guy that's going to go out there and fight every single time. That's why the UFC is like, hey, you've been paying your dues. Here's Chris Wideman. Go ahead. Take care of business, enter the top 10. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. I got Omari Akmedov via left hook knockout here. Main event of the evening in the heavyweight division. We got a matchup between Derek the Blackbeast Lewis. He's 23 and 7. And Alexei the Boa Constrictor Olnik, is 59 and 13. So if he wins this fight, this will be his 60th career win. Holy shit. Currently, they got Derek Lewis minus two hundred. The comeback and Alexei Olenek is plus one seventy. I guess the big question is: despite who you lean, are you willing to pay two to one on a guy who's mostly known for the comebacks?
1: Man, that's a that's a good question because man, like Derek Lewis's take on defense really really worries me, and I don't see how it couldn't. Now that the ability to actually submit him. Seems a little bit hard, man. It seems like he, you know, like when he gets down, it seems like he gets very defensive and it seems like, uh, you know, he, he can, uh, he knows what he, you know, doing defensively in terms of not getting submitted. Um, it's just that when you got a guy who's got how many submissions, like freaking 40, something <laughs> like a lot, a lot, you know, uh it's, t- it's tough to it's tough to lay chalk on, man, because, you know, we know we've seen him pull off Ezekiel's. We've seen him pull off, uh, you know, Scarfold's. We've seen 46 him
0: 46 submissions.
1: 46. You know, uh, we've seen him pull off the rare submissions. And, and even on the feet, although his striking is ugly, and more than likely if he tries to do that with Lewis. But, man, he's got a good way to, like, get guys up on the fence, get them in that uh, – in that Ezekiel position, like how he kind of did the junior Albini, and uh, and man, if he gets on your back, we saw that against Mark Khan, he can get that submission, man. So, I do feel like Alexi is slightly being underestimated in the spot. It's just I have a hard time believing that you know, when Black Beast does hit his face, that, you know, he's not gonna get knocked out just because Black Beast is a different level of power, uh, in my opinion. And we've seen fights where Olenek, you know. When he's not getting his way, he'll kind of go on what I like to call a, a mini suicide mission and, and really start to uh, <laughs> to uh, check out in a sense, man. Because he kind of checked out against Blade. I know those are top guys, but Blades Overeem. I mean, I don't uh, Those those are somewhat stunts, in my opinion. So, uh, I mean, I'm gonna take Lewis for a win, but like, I think it's gonna be a, a big comeback win, man. I think he's gonna lose like the first two rounds, and then uh, like I think he's gonna get dominated the first two rounds. <laughs> And then uh, maybe come back, you know, somewhere third, you know, fourth round, and get a knockout. But man, uh, it's a dog or pass situation for me, man.
0: Yeah, I mean, I kind of view this similarly to the Benil fight. Like, I would just either take the dog or just you know sit back and enjoy the fight even though i do lean the favorite here but like there's no denying that alexi takes him down there's definitely a chance alexi can go out there take his back and choke him out he's definitely got the skill to do that black beast can easily be taken down it's just also on the flip side it's like when uh, derek does the signature black beast blitz and you know what i'm talking about Shaq. when he starts turning up and he decides to let it go can alexi take that because you know walt harris did something similar and Alexi went down right away, so I would not be surprised to see Alexi go down. And also, I want to say this. I feel like even though Black Beast might get an early knockout, I feel like the later rounds favor Black Beast. uh, Because Alexi, you know, even though Black Beast is known for slowing down, I feel like Alexi slows down more. Because he goes so damn hard, and he empties the clip, man. And then he's got nothing left. He'll just cover up and let the ref intervene. So... Alexi's got, you know, a nice little seven to 10 minute window to get this sub. And if that doesn't happen, I see Black Beast coming out here, getting off on that Black Beast blitz and knocking him out. So I'm going to go with Lewis to get the knockout win. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, what is the fight to watch for UFC on ESPN Plus
1: 32? My- my fight to watch is gonna be, uh, Benil Darius versus, versus, uh, Hot Sauce, man. I feel like Hot Sauce, if he gets this win, you know, uh, probably in the top 15. And Darius, if he, you know, gets another win, it will be what, five in a row? Six? Five? Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think, uh, Yeah, he should be in line for a big fight if he gets this. And it'll it'll be pretty remarkable because a couple years ago, man, I thought Benil Darius was completely done for. So, you know, uh, that'll be a nice uh, comeback.
0: Yeah, I mean, anytime Benny's on the card, it's always one of the fights to watch, especially with a dance partner like Scotty Holzman. Serious fight. For me, my fight to watch is Coconut Bombs versus uh, The Dentist. Uh, I have a feeling that if Mackie doesn't decide to wrestle, it's going to be a stand-and-bang war uh, until one man falls. And just regardless, both both these guys are very exciting to watch for the most part. So I, I feel like you know the majority of their wins are finishes. Mackie Petolov versus Darren Stewart's my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Vegas six?
1: Uh, my fighter to watch is going to be Omari Akmedov, man. I feel like uh, on Saturday night, you know, he's going to show he's going to show everyone who the real Russian gangster is, man. I feel like uh, he's going to come out here and 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 do his thing and. Chris Weidman, man, that's a big name to have on your resume. I know everyone in Russia knows who Chris Weidman is. And uh, I'm sure everyone back in Dagestan's watching. And, man, he, he's he's under the radar, man. Had a very good run at 185s. He goes about his business real quietly. He doesn't really talk much. But, man, he comes in here and gets a win over Chris Weidman. Now everyone knows your name. So, Omari Akhmedov uh, is my fighter to watch.
0: Yeah, huge opportunity for Ahmedov. Definitely one of the guys to watch for me. My favorite watch is Nazrat Hakparas. Look, this is a huge fight for him. I mean, just, just think about this for a second, Shaq. Do you remember the hype uh, Nazrat had going into the Drew Dober fight? I think it was like a minus you know, 270 to minus 330 favorite against Dober, and people are already you know rushing to anoint him a future world champion. Do you know what that would do to his stock if Alex Munoz came out here and grapple fucked him for three rounds and— you know, showed off that Oklahoma State D1 wrestling and handed him another loss that would completely derail him to a point where it would take a couple of years for him to get back the hype he once had. So this fight is huge for Nazrat Hackprass because I feel like he comes out here and gets a knockout win over Munoz. Then all of a sudden it's like, hey, no big deal. You lost to Dober. He's in the top 15. Keep moving along. But if he loses, it's it's such a huge uh, setback. So this fight is massive for Nazrat Hakparas, his comeback fight. And for that reason, that is my fight to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down this Saturday night in Las Vegas at the Apex. And real quick, before I tell them where to follow us, Shout-out to the two NFC champs that just got signed to the UFC. Uh, Cody Durden went out there, did his thing, got the draw as a plus 280 dog against the very tough Chris Gutierrez. And our boy, our good friend, Jared Nitre and Gooden got signed to the UFC. He's fighting Dwight Grant August 22nd. So, uh, don't sleep on that, that uh, Georgia talent. You know, we've been doing our thing down here in the Southeast. The NFC is bringing up great prospects, and there's more to come. So keep your eye out for them. Well, thank you guys again for checking out Half the Battle. Make sure you follow Shaq at MMA Genius 05. Follow me at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for our plays. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, all the places where we are available. We'll be back next week as usual. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.